Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hey everybody. So I was having a conversation about a year ago with Chino Moreno from Deftones. And anyone who's a big Deftones fan knows that Chino's love of music is broad and varied and he doesn't just listen to one particular style. He's, he just has a lot of really interesting music in his life at all times. And he played a song to me by an artist called Nils Fram. And the name was a bit familiar, but I hadn't really investigated the music and the song was so moving and touching. It was just a simple instrumental piano song. But the way that it was recorded, the fact that you could hear the pedals creaking and moving and everything's sort of touching the felt and all the percussive elements of the piano was was right there alongside the notes being played. And it was just, it was incredibly immersive. You know, I found myself becoming obsessed with Nils Fram at a time when I think everybody needed to listen to music like this because something very meditative about it. And ultimately this kind of music, you can lose hours of your day just listening to it. And that's what happened. I made my own personal playlist on Apple Music. I started to just evangelize about Nils Fram across the board. I went deeper and discovered his experiments and ambient electronic music. And then I went into YouTube and started diving into his live performances. And the next thing you know, I'm kind of obsessed, which happens to me when I discover new artists that I love. And so what do I do next? try to find a way to get to Nils Fram, and we did. And we had an incredible conversation. And what you're about to hear over the course of this conversation is, you know, myself just trying to get inside the process, but also understand what motivates somebody to, you know, pick up an instrument and pull it apart like that and show the inner workings and be unafraid to share every aspect, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, about the piano and how it inspires him to move fearlessly through these sonic landscapes. Nils Fram is more than just a musician. He's obsessed with sound design. He's obsessed with purpose and intention, and it all comes together, and that's why the music is like nothing you'll ever hear. He's just incredible, and I hope this conversation sends you in that direction if you're not already there. Please enjoy my latest conversation with a remarkable human being, Nils Fram. Nils, it's great to meet you. Thank you so much. I say that from a music fan point of view. Um, you know, I was turned on to your music uh, quite recently, actually, and I was aware of who you were, but I, I hadn't indulged. And a friend of mine really encouraged me, like, no, you need to go and listen to this guy. And it's just been the most amazing kind of dive into, into your world over the last sort of 12 months or so. It's been a beautiful experience for me. So I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. That's a uh epic introduction. I'm so honored. You know, when I, when I was listening to your music this morning, I'm just going to dive straight in. I actually leaned into some of your soundtrack work. And the first question that sort of sprung to mind to me just now was, was how you approach that versus how you sort of create your music without a roadmap. And, and, and what the difference is for you when you sit there and you're searching for something pure inspiration-wise, or perhaps you're looking at rushes or images or a synopsis that might inspire you in a different way. And I just wondered, just to get the ball rolling, how you sort of, if there's any difference in that process for you. Not really experienced filmmaker person. So I'm not even a very cineastic guy, so to say. I missed out on many good movies and I never studied the topic film as much as I did obviously study music, but just from a film fan perspective, I, I like to play around with film and music, but I have no wisdom to share. It's just really interesting to put any uh, type of music on the scene and how uh, to see and feel how it changes the impact of the scene and all that. 
Um, but it is kind of always a little bit hit or miss. You know, sometimes you get really surprised in that process. And sometimes you go lucky with a cue and sometimes you just like really tinker and try and fiddle and you get stuck and all that. And so since I, I only did little film work, I have to say, um, I'm still a little bit afraid of it in terms of like um, knowing what I'm getting into if I started. Why? Because I can imagine that you've been offered many opportunities to to work in that space. Um, what is it that kind of prevents you from going deeper into that, like some of your contemporaries would, um, and and not wanting to commit so much to the to the visual collaboration? First of all, because I love my independence as a music producer, and um, in in the film world, the musician is is not the first priority, so to say. If I would make a film personally, I would put such a high focus on the music of the film, obviously. Mm. Uh, I think there's just not so much of that spirit in the film world, first of all. I mean, there's, there's many directors who would like to use very drastic or interesting music concepts, but in a major sense, they are turned down also by producers and by by other powerful people around them. And so to be lucky enough to find somebody who's uh, in charge of production and creativity in one person, there's yeah. only very few yeah, filmmakers today who, who can pull it off. And, and I mean, I would love to work on a project like that, but these options don't arrive every day to my door. So if some someone hears it and thinks like, this is a film for Niels, um, we are always open, uh, absolutely. And, and with Victoria, for example, we just met some of the main points I think are important and they're also fair, uh, which is royalties on the film because usually filmmakers get only paid like, like certain 15 and to give the rights to the music away to the, um, to the producers. That basically raises 90% of all the offers we're getting <laughs> when we say, look, we want to keep the rights on the music and we just basically license the music for the film for you. So we could also like stay in charge and control over the artwork process of that release, for example. Then, then most of the people who approach us have to admit that they can't meet these yeah, demands. And, and uh, other important things are that you love the film, of course. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you grew up in an artistic environment, clearly, because your father, you know, he contributed some incredible images and artwork to a, a remarkable catalog of music. I'm actually an ECM fan. It's why well, I used to go digging in the crates and that was a label that I would always discover and try to sample, obviously, <laughs> you know, and never put anything out with the samples attached yeah. because it always cost a lot of money, but it was great fun. And ECM was a great place to go because there's a lot of groove in it. Um, you know, so when you were growing up and watching your father sort of c commit himself artistically to things, uh, what are some of your earliest memories of realizing that that art per se was something that inspired you? Like that that was a place that you ultimately wanted your life to lead to? It's hard for me to say because when when your family is full of art and you grow, you grow up around it, then it feels very conservative to also commit yourself to it. <laughs> but it was also also important for me to develop my own ideas aside from what I was taught or what I was um, maybe 
believing was the only way because you believe in your parents, especially when you're small as a kid. You're just, you're just such a fan of what your parents do. And in my case, at least, I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's for sure. I was really inspired by my parents and, and basically I, I had to understand that, um, in order to, yeah, be something which is not like copying my, my father's ideas, I needed to do something which is not photography mm. or painting because he was the visual guy. And, and I, I knew he had a love for music, a strong love for the piano as well. And he, he's playing a little bit, but I, I felt like maybe if I commit myself more to that, then it would be just more like a, uh, something you can just not get in revenge problems with. Yeah. yeah that it could yeah. be your own. It's so fascinating, isn't it? That when we grow up inspired by our parents, ultimately what well, for the reason they inspire us is the reason that we try to separate is that ultimate search for independence, especially at that formative age. You know, when you started playing piano and you, and you first sort of touched the keys, the ADA, and you realized that this was something that spoke to you, was it immediate? Because I hear from people who, who pick up instruments and play music that sometimes it's a bolt of lightning, that it's like, this is where I belong. And then there are other cases where it's really a labor of love. How did it sort of land for you as a, as a young person? Yeah, the piano was just around. It was the most accessible instrument in the house. Uh, you didn't need to get ready for it or whatever. You just could pass, walk past and play. And uh, while walking, basically, and I always felt like attached to that sturdiness of the instrument because I was not like a kid which was very I was I was kind of all over the place and running around the house and if somebody would have given me a violin I would have smashed it just because I was clumsy with it or something <laughs> so kind of like the <laughs> the instrument the instrument really took some beating and I really tried to go and see what happens if you if you give it some really like if you play it with your fists or with your elbows or whatever and and so my parents obviously soon decided that I needed some lessons in order to stop that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and so there was not really was not really like that love affair. It was more like so, Niels. This is a fair instrument to learn. You know, this is something you can study for a long time. Is nothing like drums or. When you want to play guitar, drums, you just do that yourself. Because I would have thought drums would have been a natural place for you to go. I mean, if you were out there trying to beat the shit out of a piano, I would have thought someone would have given you a pair of sticks, you know? But I guess that's a different noise issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I just, I, I think my father loved melody too much to just like accept that his son would just become the drummer <laughs> and that he would hear the the drumming in the house or whatever he was just like getting now yeah uh, it's just funny to me that you know you attack the piano as a child but you really caress it as an adult you know and and it's not to say that your music isn't <laughs> isn't heavy i mean there's real weight to what you create it's just that it's it's not in a, in a sort of necessarily the kind of dynamic weight that you get from being a drummer or whatever it's more of an emotional and a feeling that you get from your playing um when did you feel you had your own how do I put this? Because sound is the wrong word. We'll get to that later. But you knew that the order of notes that you played and the way you played felt unique to you. And, and, it, and, it, and it, didn't, it didn't feel like it was a version of something else somebody played. When did you realize that you were landing in your own skin? Mm, good question. I think that started 
developing around 2010, 11, when I was uh, starting the works for Feld. And I was basically giving up the idea that I could just access a grand piano and make it sound out of this world, different, gorgeous, whatever I maybe had in mind, like something which would beat the classical world sound or maybe even the ECM sound or whatever, you know. I, I had always the feeling that the instrument wasn't sounding good enough, just some examples I was really, really impressed with. And I was like, okay, this piece sounds amazing. But then the next piece, when played, maybe when the piano was played in a louder part, already the recording started annoying me again. So the piano, first of all, is such a diff dynamic instrument that every recording engineer knows that you can't really find the right gain for a piano because it has a 100 dB of uh, dynamic or something, you know, you just can really like, you need the quietest sounds and the most loud ones. And, and to set up one session where a piano player comes in and can play the quietest and the loudest parts on the same instrument and everything sounds great, seems still to me is impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And so I was thinking about all these things I was experiencing while failing to find my piano sound and decided that in order to just maybe get something where I feel like it's overall sounding as good as a guitar or just any other <laughs> instrument, um, I, was, I was ready to sacrifice my freedom as a player in terms of dynamic, in terms of like, I need more note separation when you use, for example, like felt and make the sound muffled of the piano. You have to spread the notes a little further. Otherwise, your voicings sound too muddy. So I have pretty big hands. It helps to just play wider voicings um, to separate notes more and then compose for that certain sound. I got really into like recording with very loud headphones, playing super quiet if I would have hit a loud note, my ears would have exploded. But I cranked up the headphones to just like hear exactly how it would sound in the end. And so I started mixing the song while I was playing it because I'm as attached to the mixing board as I am to the instrument. And so I was I was I was doing something there which I feel like not many piano players have tried. And and now a lot of people seem to like, yeah do it in a similar way and they start to get a, a sound out of the piano which is not harsh or pingy or or too pale or whatever well you it's like <laughs> how do i it's like it's like people if, if you eat meat and and there's a and there's an animal that you've chosen to eat most people go for the choice cuts and then there are people who go nose to tail you went nose to tail <laughs> you looked at the instrument and were like it's not just <laughs> it's not just about the fillet i've got to figure out how i use every aspect <laughs> i'm so, so sorry if you're a vegetarian or a vegan it's a terrible analogy <laughs> no 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 <laughs> but it's like how do i use every part of this instrument in order to create something unique and that was one of the first, you know, when it was actually Chino from Deftones who told me about your music and he's a fan. And um, and he was saying, I really love the way that he uses parts of the instrument that other people haven't used before. And you hear the instrument at work and it creates a kind of very almost abstract percussive quality to it. Was that a eureka moment, Nils, when you listened to it and realized, wow, 
in experimenting and just following this lead, I have actually landed on something that inspires me beyond the dynamic of this instrument. Basically, yes. I think it was a, a way out of crisis I had with the instrument for all the time. Because when I look back, 2010 um, is pretty late for me in my career because I was already basically losing the instrument for the Fender Rhodes. First of all, to be able to play with a band, I needed to sacrifice the piano for keyboards to be louder than or be as loud as a guitar. And also what's interesting about that as well is about the Fender Rhodes is ultimately a dampening sound. So it's like you were searching for a shortcut to the sound you were searching for on the piano, right? Because there's such a beautiful dampness to what the Fender brings you if, if you play it right. Sure. I mean, the, the muffled sound, I, I was very aware, can be used in a nice way. One, but, but you need something uh, like cymbals or some other instrument which give it some spectrum. You know, when you, when you have a Fender Road solo record, it gets a little bit tiring. It could be cool. Please always try something like that. But, but it's easier if you have such a muffled specific sound, if you get something which gives you an idea for the world the sound lives in. And so I would never um, low-cut any of the material because you need that 10 hearts rumbling sub-bass from the pedal being pushed. And then the, the, sit, 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 the fiddly sounds from the striking of the hammer and the noise the felt makes if you cue a lot of treble into that. It gives you something like a brushed cymbal. And, and, and there you go. You have some, something in the sub and something in the very top. In the middle of that, you can put your weird piano sound or your weird Fender Road sound or whatever. And, and that was something I was experiencing then. And, and I was feeling good because also the release of the notes would make a sound like the keyboard makes a, a sliding sound like a sh. Yeah. And so I was, I was never really aware that you would hear that. And, and once you heard it on the recording, it gave the track such uh, almost like a like an over overdub from a from a drummer and he was playing some weird stuff and i was i was really i was really happy with that yeah, it's like you're taking the reverb track only to your point from drums and adding it to it so it's slightly behind it but it's creating this you know it, it really is it was the, when i first heard it, i was like I, I was searching for who was investing in, in your music and helping you release it. And I, I, I just assumed it was someone like Warp or someone like that because of the fact that it felt like you were moving in between the notes. And, and that's what I've always loved about labels like that and artists who, who are on that label is that they, again, use every part of the space provided and not just the metronome that's in front of you. Um, you know, how did sort of the whole electronic side of things start to show up there? Was that kind of, I know that you've always been fascinated by that side of it, but, um, you know, was, was that kind of an open door for you to experiment further in that? Like, okay, I can actually start to, to create, to use the other parts of the space here, not just what I'm creating with this instrument. Yeah, absolutely. I was really always struggling to put the piano and electronics for example in the same track and uh, when i was maybe 17 i stopped the band thing and i moved my my fender roads and some some juno and whatever i had moved it into my parents place and invited my friend frederick and he, he installed a computer and we started sampling and doing all that but recording a piano in that environment in that time with our budget as school kids and getting the piano in the right 
part of the house even. It was all way, getting it tuned. All this was just like, it's, it's crazy, complicated. So Defender Roads and everything just kind of stayed. And um, I was really like losing the piano out of focus for many, many, many years. I would say even 10 years, I was never really playing any piano. I was just playing roads or keyboards or whatever. And I was never really, really expecting to go back and play a solo piano show or like play piano solo for people. Absolutely not. It was more like, this is what I've learned. And so there were several things which came together, which made me remember the piano. And then also like my then already pretty trained engineering head wanted to get something different out of it. And all of a sudden I was arriving there and I was really, really thankful that basically my two sides, like the electronic needles and the acoustic uh, guy basically came together for a moment. And I felt like, oh, Jesus Christ, I didn't waste 10 years <laughs> on sequencing or on yeah. mixing. And, and now I could have been like a better piano player or whatever. I still have uh, bad feelings about not having practiced more the piano. But like I said, when I started to play the piano as a kid, it was never like, it never felt like my calling. Mm. I think ultimately I, I, I feel like I'm a musician and I use the piano much, but if my right hand would like not work anymore, I would probably just program like a synth or like go out with a field recorder and manipulate the stuff. Or I don't know, it was all very fun for me. And I, I could never really like sacrifice one for the other. But you've sort of, um, you've accepted that, you know, that your, your role in this kind of divorce between you and the piano in recent times. And you've, I know you're dedicated to the instrument to the degree where you want to encourage other people to pick it up and play it. And, you know, um, the whole idea of 88 keys and, and on the 88th day and the numerology and the whole thing of it is really cool. And, and, and I just wanted sort of what inspired you to do that when you tell me that like, actually for the longest time, I just wanted to beat this out of a piano. I had no interest in promoting it. And now, yeah. you, and now you're it's one just, of the world's big, one of the world's biggest advocates for for playing the piano. And it's like, how did you go from that to that? You know? Yeah, I'm super happy that we just used like all these old pieces of furniture because pianos they became like training instruments for kids so they could learn something, and they would probably never play again. And and the kids would move out of the house, and the piano would remain home, and the the mother would just take the flowers off the piano and mm. undust it maybe uh, every every half a year or whatever. And then so never anybody would just take care of these instruments. And and with Piano Day, it was one of, one of these ideas to just like donate your piano, you know, like give the piano to somebody who would play. Now with the internet, like donate your piano, give it to a school, give it to refugees, give it to, put it on the street in front of a shop, ask a neighborhood who needs a piano. Because uh, these days where like the house piano, which was never played, they should be over and all these millions and trillions of instruments, they need a little bit of service. Mm. Call a tune in your neighborhood, they will come. Yeah. And I mean, pianos are nothing you just love. They are just demanding. They're just like ugly also. And they're so beautiful in the same time. They just, ah, they demand your whole life in a way. And, and, Sometimes it feels like you, uh, it's, it's an obsession you just don't have under control. And so I'm also mad at the instrument because it has so much power over me. 
and uh, and so I think like this is why I would never really like be like yeah you know oh, I love the piano because I think maybe somebody would say that who has less obsession with it or it's more like a relaxing thing oh cool I just play piano and I love it and like oh god when I approach the piano on the wrong day in the wrong moment and I suck it could make me fall into a deep hole I would mm. have just I take some time to climb out of that and just like ah, I should not just play like this it just pisses me off sorry <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah it's um, some 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 are rather relaxing like noodling on the on the model you and, and feel like a little bit of liberation from all that yeah because you're not in yeah. control that's the beauty about analog synths is once you approach them it's it's very much like you have to play in their world whereas the piano is asking you to bring it to life a synth is always alive it's always moving and creating and the frequency never ends right and that must be just a wonderful thing for you to be to, to be able to do as well is just like get in there it, I, I feel like you learn something from synths whereas the piano in many respects is requiring you to apply your learning but synths are like I'll show you a sound that you never knew existed just because I'm working. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Uh, the synth does many things without you, and you can just like find them beautiful and do something with them. And the piano will not do much without you intending a little. And even though you find things on the piano and it shows you certain things, and and you get surprised, but it's much more little and it comes with with a little bit more of a tear. Mm. Then with synths, where you just maybe tape down one note and it sounds like the universe explodes. You feel pretty <laughs> good about that. And also then you come <laughs> back the next day and you play that same note having not touched any of the settings and it's completely different. <laughs> You're like, what are you doing? Exactly. <laughs> You're driving me crazy. The reaction that I, that I get whenever I um, ask people about your music, um, you know, they, they talk about it in very deep emotional terms. You're able like like a few great musicians alive today, able to press very minimal amount of notes and move people in a very significant way. And I wonder kind of um, how you, whether, whether you feel that emotional reaction when you find the good space, not the space where you are about to go into the hole because the instrument's not inspiring you or vice versa. But when you actually capture something beautiful on the day, do you have an emotional reaction in a, in a significant way? Yes. It's hard to say because when 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 I have it, I lose the moment. I could I could maybe have it later when I listen to the recording, but I should not really be too attached to it in that moment. It's having trying to play from your heart makes your heart completely free of melancholia, nostalgia. Of uh, it's basically. No, it's it's just, I would say, content. It's just in its right place. It doesn't measure anymore. and uh, Or it measures the things which go out. But uh, I had moments where I like, play a song and I, I would get the shivers or something reminds me or get the deja vu. Or I'm just really like moved by that. But once I feel that, it makes me lose the moment. And eight bars later, the song changes from absolutely right to absolutely not right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I try to just be in that Buddhistic state of mind where I just try to not get too emotional about it. The emotions just leave me in that moment and I, I'm so happy that nothing comes back. 
it just comes comes not in really. Mm-hmm. It just I just feel like everything everything passes out, and uh, yeah, that's the essence for me for music uh, of playing music. You know, taking it to to the stage has been. I'm sure it's been a process um, to get to the point where you can do over a hundred shows and and create a piece of art like Trippin, um, which is amazing and a, and a perfect kind of document of of what you've been able to achieve throughout your whole journey, right? The, 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 the fusion of it all, everything we've talked about in this conversation so far coming together in that moment right there and it's really incredible. Yeah. Um, but I'd imagine there was a lot of experimentation there as well and trying to figure out like how do I go from, how do I create something interesting for the audience that doesn't just feel like I'm behind my piano wrestling with this thing? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Just just a thousand concerts where it just didn't work, basically. And I'm so happy that I could play so many shows which were not ideal, which just I felt like I could not be done again. You know, I I went through so many oh god moments where I felt so embarrassed after the concert, and I decided to just never try this or never try that, and and then to also demand a certain quality you know and then to just whenever it was possible to step up um to make sure that your requirements are met because when you come there and there's no piano you know the instrument is horrible and and you try everything you have and and it, it is not respected in a way like people sometimes were bad hosts uh it made me man up and be like look i think we we could just really make a interesting show in rock venues in in all types of festival settings in loud and quiet settings i felt like we could do something but we need a certain scheme of perfection even though for the people when they come to the show it feels like it's everything is possible all is kind of like totally easy going and people can interact in the show they can laugh they can applause during the song they can they can really go wild, but I want every fridge in the venue to be turned off during my performance. I want all the smoke machines to be turned off. I, I just want all these like meticulous rider things which people would get crazy with me. When we do sound check, we sweep through every venue and if, if something rattles in some corner, people have to fix it. It needs to be attached or removed. But nothing can just shake half loose in the room because when I when I when I when I hit this one tone and everything's like it's um it's it's devastating. It's nothing I I can justify. Because I'm not singing. I'm not singing. I'm not I'm not like making a entertaining show aside from beating the piano a little bit with toilet brushes. Mostly I'm just I'm needing this sound to be perfect. Uh, in a way where people are impactfully met by sound, it's such a fine line. You know it. You know, just you just lose oh, the essence of the tone and all these little steps in the real world. And now we bring basically every cable and every every mixer and everything, so we erase all these possible possible holes where the sound falls into a dead spot. But yet you're able to to forgive the audience their their uh, idiosyncrasies. 
you know, you look at the room and say, I love this. I mean, this is amazing. I've never heard anyone describe it this way. Look, it's not just a room I'm walking into to fill it with sound. It's a room that already has sound and I need to be able to control that sound to make my sound work. It's phenomenal. But but then you've got to bring an audience in and you can't control an audience, right? No one wants to ever say to an audience, no clapping, no, you know, no coughing, quiet, please. Like it's the worst thing you can ask people on a night out. Everyone just wants to go out and have a good night. <laughs> no one wants to be told how to behave at a concert. So how do you sort of, how do you reason with that, with the idea of like, hey, turn the fridge off, but the guy with the, with the flu in the back who's coughing incessantly, how am I going to put him out of my mind, you know, when I'm trying to create this environment? I mean, how do you rationalize that? Well, I, I think a fridge is not really arguing. A fridge doesn't get pissed off if you turn it off. You just have to <laughs> manage the bar a little bit differently. But people, people are just like easily mad. And, and I don't like, that type of show where people shh all the time yeah, and yeah. you know that there's all the people enjoying it in a different way and then this is the beauty of it when you go to the cinema and some people are watching the movie in the party mode and some people are watching it like this this is great i mean for me that's that's the fun and this is entertainment we're still talking about entertainment it's 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 awesome maybe like to they, everything has to be art and everything has to be like so important and it's so overloaded with crap. Sorry, but it's just like uh, the Instagram world makes every plumber who is doing a good job like the most epic artist in the world. And I'm like, look, I'm a piano player, I'm a musician and I, I do live shows. I, I do entertainment. And, and when the people come in and they, they pay to see the show, they have so many rights to do whatever they want as far as they all agree on that, I am the last one who has an opinion here. You know? <laughs> I, I happy follow the mass, the mass intuition and the mass intelligence of these people, and I'm just following, trying to imagine how it is to be one of them. I don't know how aware of the audience you are when you perform. I know how busy you are. I've watched footage of you playing live. I've yet to have the experience or the pleasure personally, but I know that you are constantly moving. Um, you know, are you aware of people having kind of really sort of overt reactions to the music? I can imagine some people can't contain themselves. I mean, whether it's just excitement and whooping and things like that, because people, man, I went to a Radiohead concert and people, and I was standing next to a bunch of people who were screaming like it was like the Beatles or, or NSYNC and Tom was playing his softest songs. I was like, what are you? This is like he reacting like he's a pop star. He's literally making me cry right now. And you're like, ah! like this must happen to you where people kind of misread the room. Well, it is kind of not with my concerts. And I want to thank everybody who just like proves that the people who come to these shows are just the sweetest, humblest yeah. and most attentive people. I've I've been to many other concerts from many other bands. And I know that what I have as fans in a room is something special. And they could make a LA Disney Hall, which is a little bit stiff venue. They could make that feel like it's a good rock and roll place. But also like when we play that rock and roll venue, which stinks like old beer, people together with me, they spark this idea of like, wow, like this moving candlelight feeling of like sitting together to fireplace with just 10 people. There's always somebody who's just misreading it. But if it's just two or three people after 20 minutes, it organizes itself that they are going out, you know, like they get sent out, like people are, or they, they stop. And so it's just really, really amazing to let that happen, you know, to just absolutely trust in the moment in all these people that they've figured it out. And if people 
this is this this normal situation where they don't know if they should sit or stand in a certain venue situation. Like some people want to sit, some want to stand, and the people in the front stand or ready, and the people in the back sit. Maybe you need to just be the judge and take the microphone and be like, okay, I would say we do this. And there's only like little moments where I believe you need to interact. Yeah. But if you don't do it in these moments, that will just, it will be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I'm glad you mentioned yeah. the Ale show. It was fascinating to me that, you know, you had a really important show at the same on the same night that your father also had an exhibition that was going on um, of his work. And that must have been a really beautiful moment yeah. for the two of you. That was a great day and to see so many friends from overseas and the whole team which works uh, on the America shows and there was a strong bonding moment. Brad Pitt came and said hi, he came backstage. I was I was just like, Wow, this is this is so special. I He's yeah, got such good taste, Brad Pitt. This is the thing about Brad Pitt, man. Every time that I've ever spoken to anybody that he's shown up backstage at their shows, he, I'm like, man, he's so dialed in. Like, he's got great taste in music, and I know he's a real music fan. I mean, I mean, and he doesn't do that very often, I believe. He doesn't just sort of show up and say, "Hi, I'm Brad Pitt." Like, he does it when it moves him. Is the, is the general is the general <laughs> feeling? Exactly, exactly. He doesn't need to show up anymore. Just like. He's in a good place. Yeah. Um, did you and your father have a moment that day, not to get too personal, where you were able to take a, to have a, a conversation without going into detail and say, you know, wow, because the bond between parents and child is so important and you hope that there's a moment when you can meet somewhere down the line where your mutual passions cross paths. And just that, on that night in March in 2019, for, for you to both be doing something really special on the same night, must have just been a really great moment for the two of you specific. Yeah, I mean, he he is so proud, and I'm so proud of him for for all my life. I was, and after a certain point, I felt like Jesus. My parents also like understand what I'm doing, and they get it, and they like it. And uh, to be able to just yeah bring all this together and work in such close ways, and also to be able to give good feedback to the other's work like he really listens to my music and he has interesting interesting things to say about it and, and I know his images so well and I can yeah really like see this is this is maybe the one you should take and maybe put that out or whatever you know it's just like this is normality for us but that day it felt like alright this yeah maybe only happens a couple of times in your life where you're like, wow, <laughs> realizing that. You know, to bring it full circle as we near the end of this, of this, of our first conversation, I would, I would hate to, to, to not give you a chance to talk about the influence of your mother because we focused a lot on your father. I'm aware of his work as a photographer and, and, and I love the story of March in 2019, but I love that you also keep referring to your parents in plural. And I'd love to know what, what, how your mother has helped shape your journey as well. Not just your father, whose work I'm aware of, but, but your mother who, you know, plays an essential role in nurturing you. Yeah. My mother is, is always forgotten in these interviews. And I feel also bad about it because obviously they are both the people who shaped me the most and um, especially my mother was mostly there when my father had his first big jobs going and my mother needed to take care of us more and sacrifice her career a little bit 
later on when my parents parted, um, when I was maybe eight or nine, my, my mother really re-accessed her uh, profession, which is like counseling and family therapy. She just brought all that emotional wisdom into our family. You know, my father and the whole family of my father, we all farmers going back to farmer farmer roots and 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 farmers in north germany they they are funny they just never speak about emotions or anything they just never speak at all when it's not important and and my mother came from south germany or from a different different part and she brought with uh, all that family she brought such a different spirit into the family and and she has this beautiful taste as well she's very minimalist and she she feels colors and when she chooses a color on her it's always the right one you know and and there's so many memories and images where i feel like oh god where i'm at or what i'm doing right now i couldn't really show it to her if she would see me right now i need to go somewhere else and then she's such a wise woman that she always let me do my thing and she would listen to me three times if I complained on the fourth time. She would like say, like, never complain again, just change it, okay? And you're like, all right, I can't go here again with the same shit, and so you have to move on. And other things where you just like realize how tough it can be to be raised by a strong and wise woman is like, Niels, I'm happy when you are. And you're like, okay, this is easier just need to be happy so my mom is happy and you realize later on how difficult it is you know um i guess this is my last question for now and and i i hope we get a chance to speak again I, you know i've loved it I've, I've learned so much from this conversation um i learned so much by listening to your music and then the way that you're able to to explain your process and where it comes from has really given me a lot of new learnings and I've been doing these conversations for a long, long time. So this has been a joy for me. Um, you know, to me, it feels like you're searching for ways when you're making music or doing shows that the, the, the constant, the, the through line here is that the areas that a lot of us don't realize um, are, are, are malleable. You're searching to, to create, to change shape and to, to apply them to your process, um, whether it's the room, the instrument, um, you know, the fusion of different sounds and different things. You know, when you have time to yourself like now and there's no touring to be done necessarily, are you always dialed in? Are you always looking around at ways to apply a certain atmosphere or feeling to something new? Are you always kind of creating, I guess is the question. Mm, it was a beautiful introduction, and I'm. I feel like that that was basically implying almost like the answer. I I think what what is your creation could change from it can change matters. Sometimes it's music, sometimes it's hiking, climbing a mountain, or just like preparing your 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 backpack in the most in the best way. So you just like when you go. You just have all the things you need and want and just like don't miss anything out. So you prepare something and create like whatever, you know, like a day trip. And if that is what you're really looking forward to and if, if that is really like um, the time you have, then treat it like it's a masterpiece. Treat it like it's whatever, maybe the next symphony you're writing. 
what I was always kind of like bummed out about being a human being on planet Earth is that there's so many people telling each other, ah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just for this. It's just for that. It's not so important because we do it again. This is only provisorical. It doesn't need to be good because it will... The excuses why things can be mediocre are infinite. You know, you just hear it all your life. Everybody just is around by all that. You know, it's a non-inspiration for me. And I, I always was inspired by people who just would would wash the dishes and cut the onion with the same, you know, mastery or, or attempt mastery as if it really would matter, you know, like if you really, because whatever it is, you know, and they, they sharpen the knife before and they don't wash the knife with water. They, they use like the perfect cloth to wipe it off and they, they never like put it this way around. They always put it like that way around. And and I always wanted to be somebody who just like whatever I do, I just do it with a certain type of like dignity and 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 attempt to yeah mastery. So it just makes me feel better. If that is create creating something, maybe then I'm always creating, but I'm 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 not always successful with that. So it sounds like I, I got it, but I'm just trying. You know, most of the time I'm clumsy. I'm too fast. I'm, I'm just like I'm, I'm, I'm ruining it just before it's done. <laughs> and, uh, but I, but, but I think that's okay. I think, I think that's pretty human. Yeah. You know, first of all, thank you for amending the time. I can't wait to speak with you again. I can't wait to hear whatever you're going to create again, when, as and when you're ready. And I, and I hope wherever you are, it looks beautiful. That, um, you know, you're able to to enjoy that moment, enjoy the moment. It's been really wonderful to meet with you. Thank you, Nils. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I know what a big honor that is to hear you on the phone. <laughs> no, Thank man. you so much. Pleasure's all mine. Have a great evening. All right. Bye-bye. Deep observations from an incredible musician. If you enjoyed the conversation and you haven't heard the music, wait till you leave here and go and look for Nils Fram. Trust me. Your life is about to improve in so many different ways just through this simple discovery. And if this is the way you're doing it, then I'm very proud that you've come to the interview series and discovered something new. Nils Fromm, an incredible artist. I appreciate his time and I appreciate yours. Leave a comment, subscribe, and we'll catch you next week.